What's up, freaks? Howdy. It's wartime out there. Sat back down with Maddie Mazinkius from Crypto Voices from Porkopolis Economics for our quarterly update, Q4 2022. Uh, but obviously, we talked a lot about everything going on in the banking system right now. Uh, a lot of charts in this one. I think Matt did a incredible job of verbally describing the charts. But if you want to actually see the charts, uh, recommend you go over to YouTube, put this on Twitter, if you're on Spotify, you can watch the video, have it on Rumble and Bitcoin TV as well, if you want the charts. But again, I think Matthew did a great job of describing what was on the screen at the point in time. And we'll link uh, to this thread where a lot of these charts can be found uh, as well. Uh, haven't read Boost in a few weeks. Sorry, Freak's been very busy, uh, but we'll get to it. Rip 406, debt-based colonialism and structural adjustment with Alex Gladstein at Eric99, 50,000 sats. Great rip. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. At BFG86, 5,000 sats. Prediction, 10 years from now, Alex will win the Nobel Peace Prize and we'll be referring to him as Sir Alex. <laughs> Would be pretty cool. At Kirill Sukov, 1,000 sats, heart emoji. And at Gert, 1,000 sats, peace sign emoji. Thank you for the boost on RIP 406. We'll go to RIP 405 as well. The Biden laptop report with Garrett Ziegler, spicy one. I think an important one, honestly. I get that. Republican, Democrat, don't really care what your political leanings are. I think we can all agree that corruption is bad. And Garrett uncovered some corruption in this laptop. Highly recommend you guys go check it out if you haven't already. At Eater, Editor, E-Editor. Let's go with that. 1,500 sats. Great conversation. TFTC continues to impress. Thanks. Well, E-Editor, thank you for listening. We're going to try our best to keep impressing you and, and setting the bar higher moving forward. At Hugh Janus. Huge anus. Ah, I get this. It's Hugh, H-U-G-H-J-A-N-U-S. Hugh Janus. Hugh Janus is a big ass. 1,069 sats. This was a cracker. Loved it. BFTW. Shakabra. Brownheart emoji. Island. Movie. I think that might be Costa Rica or Croatia. I'm not sure. Thank you, Hugh Janus. For the boost. I wonder if you actually have a huge butt. And look, when we say huge anus, is that like the, the, the butt or the butthole? I mean, it's janus. That would be a hole. Okay. wonder why you have a big butthole. At Mark C, 1,033 sets. Spicy one, eh? Yeah, I think so, Mark. And at I Love Sushi, 1,000 sets. A great listen. Thank you, freaks, for contributing via the podcasting 2.0 value for value model. If you're listening on apps like Fountain, Breeze, Podverse, Echo, whatever it may be, you're contributing. Thank you dearly. We really appreciate it. Love that you're getting value out of this show. The show is also brought to you by good friends at River. Banking system seems to be pretty crazy right now. Uh, we have Balaji calling for a million-dollar Bitcoin. They're going to cut off the on-ramps, the off-ramps. Uh, so probably want to move in haste and sign up for a river account. Go to river.com slash TFTC, get Bitcoin. I mean, this is 
the best Bitcoin company out there to acquire Bitcoin. They built their whole infrastructure. They hold Bitcoin that you hold on the exchange in reserves, 100% backed. The Bitcoin is. Uh, they've integrated Lightning, receive and send. Uh, you can mine with the River. But if you're looking to acquire Bitcoin and get it off quickly, which they recommend, they want you to hold your Bitcoin in self-custody. They just want to make it as easy as possible to get Bitcoin. Go to river.com slash TFTC. Sign up. You're going to get $20 of free Bitcoin. Um, and if you DCA, you don't pay any any recurring fees. So go do it while you still can. River.com slash TFTC. And even if they cut off the on and off ramps, you can still mine via River and then build with River Lightning Services. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends down at Unchained Capital. If they're going to cut off the on ramps and the off ramps, you're going to want to make sure that you have Bitcoin in self-custody and Unchained is here to help you do that with their two or three multi-sig vaults in which you hold two keys. So you have full unilateral control over your Bitcoin at all times and Unchained holds one uh, if you ever need them to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum, the second signature in that quorum. Uh, this is the way to do custody, multi-sig. It's the future. It's going to be the basis of uh, the new financial system. They're going to try and stop Bitcoin, but they're going to fail. They're going to fail. They cannot stop the human spirit. They will never, ever, ever get my keys. Take it from my dead, cold hands. I have confidence in that because of Unchained's vault. So go to www.unchained.com slash concierge. Tell them that CFTC sent you. You'll get $50 off your concierge onboarding service. This rope is also brought to you by good friends at CrowdHealth. If you're looking to approach healthcare costs in a new way, you don't want health insurance notoriously opaque, expensive, impersonal. Crowd health is the model for you. Me and my family are on crowd health uh, and it's a crowdfunded model, model for healthcare and you get lower cost because crowd health is actually there working on your behalf. It's not impersonal. It's very personal. It's a very great experience. Go to joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Sign up for account. You're going to get $99 a month for your subscription fee for the first six months. Uh, and the way it works, you pay your subscription fee every month and it goes into a dedicated bank account. If you ever have a health event, you get the bill, you bring it to CrowdHealth, they negotiate the price lower, you pay the first $500 and the rest gets crowdfunded by the community. Uh, 100% of bills have been paid to date. Can't promise that moving forward, but the model seems to be working very well. Uh, relatively low healthcare costs across the CrowdHealth community because they do have some health metrics you have to hit to get into the community. Uh, so it's a community of healthier people on average. Uh, and then yes, they have a Bitcoin aspect to it too. After you build your bank account up for several months, they'll begin, uh, continuing to fill that up, but then a portion of your monthly payment will go to Bitcoin as well. So you can stack Bitcoin alongside your health account. Go to joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Sign up today. Lower your healthcare cost freaks. Uh, inflation's running rampant. You need to save everywhere you can. CrowdHealth helps you do that. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by Bitcoin Talent Co. Uh, their mission their Bitcoin recruiting firm is to get the best talent in the world working at Bitcoin companies. It's a recruiting firm built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. They understand what companies in the space need, whether it be multi-sig, lightning, uh, mining. They understand the space inside and out so they can actually help you find the talent necessary to help you take your company to the next level. So if you're one of those individuals sitting in the banking sector, maybe it's a little shaky right now you're not you're not too sure about the future of your industry but you're a bitcoiner you want to get in 
you haven't had the network of Bitcoiners and connections to companies to get into the space, this is what Bitcoin Talent Co. exists for. So go to bitcointalent.co, tell them that TFTC sent you, get onboarded, and they're going to help you find a job in the space. Alternatively, if you're a company looking for the best talent, Bitcoin Talent Co. is going to find that for you. Sign up on the other side. They'll create like a very personalized track for your company. They'll deeply understand your needs and go find you the best talent to build out the Bitcoin standard. We're going to win, freaks. They will never, ever, ever destroy the human spirit. Enjoy this rip. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Are you comfortable? Comfortable. Good, you sort look comfortable. Of. You're like leaning back a little bit. Uh, I just figured, you know, when we do these quarterly chats, you need to you need to settle in. Yeah, well, we're settled in. We're at block height, 782,141. Fantastic. Q4 2022 quarter, or monetary base update. Yeah, now Getting the Q1 a is late. almost, now the Q1 is almost over. Q1's almost uh, over. That's how they do it, though. You know, it's a full month. You have to wait until, like, pretty much all the stuff is published, and then you get, like, the stragglers, like, you know. I still haven't gotten on the Bank of Iran's website since June of last year because of the, uh, you know, that country's on fire, basically. So you can't, like, if anyone can actually get on their website, just DM me. I'd be interested. But, um, yeah, take some time. Uh, but this one took a little bit longer. Very interesting things going over in Iran right now. Saudi or China brokering a quasi peace deal with Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know. China's brokering peace deals everywhere, apparently. Trying to, at least. They had that. They went Communist to Russia. Party. There's rumors that they're going to try and get Vladimir and Zelensky at the table. I'd like to see Xi try. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot going on, man. A lot going on in the world. We are, uh, you know, it's, it's standard status quo over here. We're supporting Ukraine best we can just because we know that they would have us in the crosshairs next. Yeah. Uh, even, though, even though we're in NATO, it's just geographically very tight for us, very tough. There's this thing, the Suvalki Gap, you know about that? No. It's a, it's a small town right in... Uh, right at south of Lithuania uh, in Poland. And uh, they've been building it up over uh, the years. I actually just drove through there uh, last week. It's like the, the highway is much better now, it's, it's, but it's basically the only road. There's 100 kilometers, 60 miles of road between Lithuania and Poland. And on the, uh, on the west, you have Kaliningrad, which Russia never held historically, never had any claim to, but they took it over after they pushed the, uh, the Germans out uh, in, after World War II. And in uh, the east, you have Belarus, which is uh, obviously like basically a Russian surf state at the moment. So there's, there's, a, there's 100 kilometers, 60 miles 
of open land border between the Baltics and the rest of the European Union. So it's 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 always something that we're thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy times right now, man. I wrote about it last night. And we seem to be completely in la-la land over here in the West. We have China brokering this deal between Saudi, Saudi and Iran. Obviously met with Putin this week to strengthen their relationship. Obviously the rumors we just mentioned about we'll see if you can get them to the table. Uh, you have Mexico signaling that they like to join the BRICS countries, which would be <clears throat> interesting. And obviously you have a, a banking crisis at the same time. Who would have thought that rising interest rates would have been a problem <laughs> for banks? Who would have thought it after 15 years of near zero rates? But that is where we are. Yes. Where should we start? Should we start with uh, the Balaji yeah. prediction? Yeah, let's do, a, let's do a chart to start it. Can you see my screen okay? Sharing okay? Um, not, are we sharing his screen or do we have our picture up? Let me, let me pull actually so I can see you too. That, yeah, that's you got his. It, right? Yep, yep. It's all good. Thank you, Logan. Um, so uh, just, you know, do this quickly. I did a daily on this this week. Uh, I'm running these these dailies now with uh, on the back of some good open source software here. And as we know, you can't look at anything with Bitcoin in linear scale, which this is. I'm going to put it in log. You can see about 15,000 trend lines, which I'm going to take all of them away. Um. Just really quickly, as as we start the show, to look at some of this because uh, you know, as as we as time goes on, it's it's harder to look at numbers as uh, you know as the morning goes on for you. I understand, but uh, I would say uh, this is quite interesting. Obviously, here's his bet. All right, ninety days away from a little less than ninety days from from St. Patrick's Day when he made it. Price up a little bit. This is price ending yesterday. Uh, as I showed you last quarter, you might remember this uh, this power regression trend line. So this is not like stock to flow stuff. This is just this is solely based on the price as Historical it stands. Data. It's, yeah, it's the only variable that I'm looking at. This is not even any like fancy trading view lines or anything. This is just a statistical regression. There's logarithmic, exponential, linear, and power. Power is the best one that fits Bitcoin uh, for many years, actually. And in many different things, like hash rate is a pretty good power curve. Uh, market caps even better than this. This is a 95% R-squared, which is pretty incredible R-squared. Just means that the, the price moves around the black line, the trend line, 95% better than it would move around like a flat imaginary average line, which is like $8,000 Bitcoin. So obviously, it's going to move around a curved line better because that's as we know, that's how Bitcoin grows. Right, so that's the basics. Um, last time I showed you some different trend lines based on other years. Here I'll do some percentiles just quickly. So like one sigma down, one sigma up. There's, uh, you know, kind of standard deviations, one sigma, two sigma, right? So anything inside these blue bands is two thirds of the time, 66% of the time, 67% of the time. Uh, that's, that's inside the blue bands. Two sigma, what is that? That is 95% of the time. That's a two sigma move. So still, if you're inside the purple bands, all right, that's a 90, 
five percentile event. And if you go out that, it's a five percentile event. And more specifically, it's two and a half above the top <laughs> band, two and a half below the bottom. That's how this stuff works. So you see with two sigma, uh, we didn't hit it even in 2021. You see in 2017, we didn't hit two sigma up. We did hit it though back in the day. We hit it in 2013 and we hit it in 2011. Okay. Now let's go three sigma. So one sigma, two thirds of the time, two sigma, 99% of the time, three sigma. That's 99% of the observations will be inside these bands around the trend line. Three sigma. All right. I know my tooltip always gets in the way in this way, but let's zoom in. So obviously three sigma didn't happen later, but earlier based on this trend line, it's still nicked it in 2013 there. And then in 2011, this was the first empty Gox hacking. I think this was the first time Mark got his exchange busted up, went from like, you know, we were at the start of 2011 under a dollar, right? Slash that article right here. This big jump. Of course, this is like extremely thin data, but this is my, this is my data that I've used to build it here. Started Bitcoin pizza day. Uh, by June, you're at 35 bucks. So that's was a it, massive, massive pump, right? Yeah. Was it still Jed's exchange in 2011? No, like, no, no, I don't, I don't, uh, believe so. No, Mark, <laughs> Mark suffered all the hacks. Uh, this was the first one out of like three. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably just took it over at this time. And, and so, yeah, you see that that's, that's, uh, it would be a 99th percentile event, like an extreme move from the trend, from the trend line, which the trend line at this time is two bucks. That's the trend line. And the price was 35 on June 15th. I think I catch it. Yeah, 35 bucks. All right, so I'll reverse 17x over the trend line. Yeah. I'll take out the one segment, the two segment, to clear it up a little bit. Uh, and now let's look at what Bellagio needs to do what he needs to have happen to get to a million by uh, June 2023, 90 days out. This is going to be his trend line. All right, so it's outside of a three sigma move, which means it's 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 less likely than one percent of the time. And I put in the in the in the tooltip there in the in the legend ninety nine point nine two eight nine percent of observations are below this line. So that's just to show you, and we can walk it out now. Okay, so here we are. The, our trend line, by the way, the actual Bitcoin trend line is 50,000. So we're under trend, right? At 28,000, 27,000, whatever it might be at the very moment. Um, you know, but this, this chart is built as of yesterday, right? And so our trend line should be at 50,000. And this is on log scale. So this is also interesting to see this, the, the magnitude of the, of the number here. I mean, I know people know this in their head, but I still want to point it out. So let's even take out three sigma down. Three sigma up, okay, so the 99, it's actually 99 and a half percent, because remember the three sigma down, which I just took away is the other half percent. <laughs> so it's 99 and a half percent is above three, the three sigma up line there. That's 523K is the trend line that it should be to hit, to hit that rare event. And then his, of course, he should be at 900,000 right now. And you just walk it out. Let's see if I got the numbers correct, June, 11, 12, 13, 14th, 000, 15th, 16th. I think it actually changed in the last day. Uh, I think it should be 15th as the bet finishes. Anyway, you get it. Um, million by June 16th. So this is the trend line that need, he needs to hit. So the point is, it's obviously rare. I mean, we've never been above 70,000. Everybody knows that intuitively. 
But let's just see. I was actually surprised at this. Let's see if there was a pricing history which hit his trend line. Uh, remember, it's, it's going to be back in the day. 2013 did not hit it, but this pump in 2011 did hit it. It was outside of a 99.9289% event, which also is uh, in Sigma terms. You remember the old operations management classes, the old Jack Welch uh, Six Sigma? Yes. So that's extremely insane. I actually thought about that more looking at this, doing this research, but the, that's like three defects in a million. So that's not as hard as, as, as what Bologic is trying to do, actually. His, uh, he's between three and four sigma. Three and four sigma is, is what his would translate to. Um, and yeah, it's like four days. Uh, one, two, three, four. Four days we were above the trend line and then it fell. So the point is just to say statistically, uh, for that to happen, it's less than 0.1% of the time. It's 0.07% of the time. And you have to also ask yourself, like if we talk about just the way that it's worked historically, the price always pumps, gets over its skis and then falls, right? It never stays there. It doesn't like go to a million and stay there. That's the first thing. But then the second thing I would say is I'm totally, if you're watching this and you're thinking I'm like going to start dissing him, not at all. I'm, I commend him for what he's been saying. I think it's extremely interesting, especially right now that he's actually like with this bit signal thing, he's being very vocal about it. I think it's very commendable, certainly as a Bitcoiner for him to say that. Certainly it's possible that hyper-Bitcoinization could happen in the next 90 days and then that would happen. But just to show you statistically how this has worked around the trend line, it's uh, less than 0.1% likely based on all 6,500 plus days of Bitcoin pricing data. So what I'm hearing is that you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there is a chance. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a chance for We could do it. Buckle up. No, we were, yeah. I mean, we were talking about this before we hit record. It's, uh, there is a chance. It's a very small one. If you're well, if we're looking at the historical data, it has happened before this type of, uh, what is it, Six Sigma event? Or no, this be between three and four. Between this three would be and four. four. Actually, not as crazy as Six Sigma, but still. I mean, Three Sigma is a 99 percentile event. It's extremely rare. We've only had it a couple times. And his will be like, we've had it one time for four days. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, we were having the discussion before. Does he really think it's going to hit a million dollars? Or is this a campaign to try to incite urgency in people to get into Bitcoin? before they shut the doors on the banking system, which dovetails into the conversation about the banking system. I know you mentioned it um, when we first hit record here. Like, what, do you, what did the Fed think was going to happen when you raise interest rates as quickly as they have over the last year and a half after 15 mm -hmm. years of, of essentially ZERP? Um, what's going on in the banking system in your mind? I mean, they caused it. Like, this is this is what... All of us have been saying for years and years, this is like, this is why we do Bitcoin. This is why we don't believe that you need a centralized actor, a monopolistic actor to artificially, uh, to artificially set the interest rate, but then more crazily do that by pumping up their own sovereigns bonds, which is how they actually do that. And uh, I mean, could you just imagine like the riskiest asset on your book is a 10 year treasury note? <laughs> I mean, it's like, 
they caused it. They caused this this problem. And not just I'm saying in the last year, in, obviously in the last 15 years. And of course, before that, you know, there's always it's like that Hayekian thing. It's like, look before look at the uh, the boom before the bust. Like it's the same thing before 2008. Alan Greenspan took interest rates to one, one and a half percent, which were all time lows at the time after 9-11 and the dot com bust. Same thing happened with LTCM, you know, the Mexican peso crisis in the 90s, the Asian crisis in the 90s. It's like there's all they're always coming down, down, down on the rates. Actually, another thing I showed this week, uh, dear viewer, if you like some of this stuff, like because I, I wanted to visualize that. Um, we can pull it up if you want. It's a sensitivity of bonds. I don't know. I, I don't want to just run charts the whole show. So I don't know if you, if you want to do it, but I like uh, charts. I, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so this is the sensitivity of this is bond. It's called bond duration risk. Okay. So how, you know, smart you are, if you're Silicon Valley bank asset manager to be, you know, buying government bonds at a time where they're at all time lows. Uh, so the point of this chart is to show you, well, the rates are at all time lows and the prices. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, Absolutely. That's a very important point with bonds. Uh, the price moves inversely. The value of the bond moves. It's inversely correlated with the rate. So if the rates fall, price rises. If uh, rates rise, as they've been doing, price will fall. So this is the last 20 years, basically. Complete happy days in the market. We see the YTM as yield to maturity. It moves down, down, down. So just this is not really the, 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 the rates you see are a little bit higher bonds are weird. You can't look at like a stock chart, right? Of any one stock to see how any one bond does. You have to look at the yield and then back into that based on your book value, how much your book value of your bonds are worth. But if you just look at this, say that, you know, you bought uh, a one, this is a uh, uh, 1% yield of maturity bond, which is exactly what they were in, uh, in the case of SVB bank, or whatnot, they were 1%. Uh, one and a half percent, maybe actually, maybe even over or uh, excuse me, under one percent notes in 2020, 2021. The 10 year, which is the bond that they had, and by the way, the mortgage backed securities pay the same as the treasuries just because they nationalized it. Uh, the 10 year note was bottomed in 2020 at point almost a half of one percent, point six percent, incredibly low. The 10 year, unbelievably low, and that's when they started to buy these things. <laughs> So all-time high prices, in other words. Uh, anyway, if you just continued on owning a bond, look at the tooltip here. You see that yield to maturity unchanged, right? You had a one-year, 10-year, 50-year bond. The U.S. doesn't have 50-year bonds, but other countries do. By the way, Austria has a 100-year bond. Um, I encourage you, dear viewer, to read some news articles about how the bondholders there are feeling pain at the moment. Argentina but, was talking about a 100-year bond at one point. Yeah, Trump was even floating a 50-year bond idea, a floating one. Um, so it's just to show you, this is just statistically, it's, it just works exactly like this. Say you start at 1% yield to maturity. Now we're going to the positive side, the happy days. And since bonds in the eighties were like 15%, 10 year treasuries, they weren't 1% yield to maturity as I have here. Your profit actually isn't going to be as extreme, but it's still extreme. I have to keep everything at a flat yield curve just to start to show you. So basically, you know, if tomorrow you had a, a one-year uh, bill at 1% and it the, the yield fell 1%. On a one-year duration, you see in the tooltip, the one-year bill value, you only gained a percent. That's literally what you would gain. 
But as you go up in duration there, right, if you have more time left on the bond, you're accreting more value. Like you're gaining more value on your books to lever up or to do more things. So look at the five-year note, you just gain 5% in value. 10-year note, you gain 10%. A 50-year bond would gain 64% simply with a 1% 1 drop in the interest rate. 2%, double, basically 3%, triple, and a little bit more, so on and so forth. Where if you only get five percentage points, and imagine if you were doing this in 1980, you had 15% bonds. Again, the I'm, my base is 1% here. So this is actually like a negative rate if you get there, which in the US never had, but other countries had. You might have not been on the 50-year bond like 1,100% profit. You might have been like 800%. It doesn't matter. The point, again, is just to show you this is the pattern. When rates fall, you are just, it's a boom. Like this was the last 40 years. It's like my entire lifetime was rates falling. Of course, it was, you know, it was not uninter uninterrupted gains. And we had crises and they're always, you know, the punch bowl, the, the Greenspan put, as they called it, and the Bernanke put. They're always there to rescue the markets. But that's what they've done. They've taken them lower and lower. I mean, it's, this is not rocket science. We've all been talking about that. Then you go to this side. This is the pain. This is what's <laughs> happening now. This is what's been happening over the last year is the yields have gone up from where they were. So good old SVB Bank, they started precisely here at 1% yield to maturity, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more on 10-year bonds. All right. So let's even, well, let's leave them all on there. I have the whole spread here, the whole all durations. You go 1% up in rates, your bill. Now, look how it's still good in this case to have only a one-year bill. Um, bills are short-term bond, right? Notes midterm. Uh, you only fall one percent. That's your face value. Your face. You only, you know, you're expecting one percent total on your money yield. You you lost a little bit less than one percent if race moves up. Okay, so that's that's uh, that's okay. But then the ten-year look, you've lost already nine percent on your face with just a one-year move. Fifty bond, fifty-year bond, of course, is extreme. You've already lost thirty-eight percent. Go to two percent. It's double. All right. Not not quite double, but you're, you've lost on the 10 year, which is now we're in the SVB bank territory, the blue. They were losing two to three, almost four percent. Let's just take it to three. That's a 25 percent hit on the value of your book. And that's what everybody. This is the thing about banking. This is like why it's hilarious that they're trying to like, you know, stifle this and say the system is fully backstop and why Bill Ackman keeps capitalizing tweets about how we need to fully, you know, guarantee the whole, uh, the whole country and everybody's deposits. It's because this is what they all hold debt, the debt markets, the bond markets, they dwarf stocks, you know, bank loans work the same, by the way, if, if your interest rate needs to be repriced in your interest rate risk bonds, of course, are more liquid, but this is all that banks hold on their, on their balance sheets is debt-based instruments as assets. So if if the if the market demands only a 3% more move, you know, depending on your duration, okay, you wouldn't be bad if you had just a bill. You'd only use 3% of your capital value. You're, you're, you know, you're going to be repaid in par pretty soon. But if you got to deal with that out 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you're effed. I mean, that's just, that's, the, the stuff moves too quickly these days. It's repriced. And you remember, they didn't have to mark this to market. Remember this uh, hold to they, they moved it stealthily into this hold till maturity category, mm -hmm. these bonds. So they didn't have to market to market. And everybody knew that like there, there were reports from the, not everybody I should say, more people were calling this out than others, but uh, 
reports were coming out from the Fed that these unrealized losses were climbing over the last year. But it took, you know, a couple of newsletter writers, Peter Thiel, whoever. I mean, the run itself actually screwed them. And it's interesting to me that those are the bonds they chose to sell because, you know, you might think uh, it's good to get the bad stuff off your books first. But obviously, in their, their case, that's not what happened. I mean, that was just well, showed maybe. even less faith. And, and that was it. Maybe they did view it as the bad stuff. Yeah, it's, it's pretty insane because they didn't have to mark to market, but the sleuths were doing a lot of research. And I mean, you had that chart that's been going around for the last month that the unrealized losses that the banks have in their books are between like six and $700 billion. Yeah. Way more than 2008 has ever came close to. Yeah. And so that gets to the question, has QE five started? I talked about this with Parker Lewis last week. But obviously they had that facility that they spun up, the BTFP, where yeah. they're essentially telling the banks, all right, give us your bonds. Uh, we'll hold them on our books and give you a loan at par value for a year. W- number one, what's the likelihood that that facility lasts a year? And number two, what's going on behind the scenes in terms of money creation? It's technically not QE. because so they're not printing cash and giving it back. They're lending it out. Yeah. I mean, they're expanding the balance sheet. It's a corporate, uh, it's a corporate loan and it's expanded the balance sheet, how that will play out to the monetary base in the future. You have to see, but we saw that in the last week and I'll do a show on this tomorrow because I guess today it's probably released the Wednesday level, which I haven't even checked yet of the fed. But as of last week, it went up 300 billion. And they had spent all that time over the last two years trying to cut like double, 600 billion maybe. So in a week, they reversed the size of their balance sheet by half. What they, <laughs> all that work they were trying to do, they reversed it uh, by half. So uh, in other words, they're back to square one. They're, they're printing again where it will all shake out in the bank reserves. Also, they have this reverse repo facility, which is for non-banks, which is actually, I don't have in my monetary base stuff because uh, I just, they don't classify it yet. So I wasn't sure I should put it there yet, but that's essentially money, base money from the Fed that's for non-banks. So we'll have to see how it shakes out, but it's absolutely, I mean, when you're talking about balance sheet expansion, like whatever they choose to call it, it you know, and, and, and they haven't done what Bill Ackman wants. They haven't done the full system wide, like guarantee of every deposit, regardless of amount, like what, you know, they haven't done that yet. They're trying to say that everything is safe. And also what I wanted to ask you about is I'm seeing some tweets this morning. I follow this stuff that closely. I mean, I live in the United States, but it seems like Operation Choke Point 2.0 is, is coming. You know what Nick Carter has been writing about. So that's another thing where they're trying to, basically not allow any sort of, you know, riffraff from the sides for people like us <laughs> to come in and say buy Bitcoin or people like Balaji. So, um, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about choke point 2.0? Do you think that's what they're going to try to, to implement? Because, and I want to talk about Balaji again too, because I think it's interesting what he's been saying. I would not be surprised. I mean, obviously I think I've seen, Similar tweets to the ones you were just mentioning where people are sh- uh, sharing screenshots of correspondence with their banking partner saying, hey, we're going to limit the amount of money that you can wire to these particular entities. And they just so happen to be 
Bitcoin exchanges. Uh, I do think there's a lot of signal in the way Silvergate happened and then Signature. Silvergate obviously had the bank run, weathered it pretty well for a bank that had billions of dollars of outflows. They were able to facilitate the withdrawals um, pretty seamlessly. Obviously, they shut their doors. Very interesting to note there and very important to note. They shut their doors. They didn't have the FDIC or uh, NYDFS step in and and shut them down. Um, But then Signature going down on a Sunday and getting shut down by the NYDFS was a signal um, that Nick Carter's been talking about that that is a bit odd. I mean, you did have Barney Frank come out um, and say, hey, we, we were we were pretty fine. Like we didn't need to, uh, to get shut down. And I mean, he of all people, it's just, the right? it's right. abounding. It really is. Um, but there has been some data sleuths hopping into their balance sheet. And apparently they had an obscene amount of commercial real estate exposure, which obviously has not been faring well last few years. So maybe there yeah. was some problems with their balance sheet, but with Silvergate and signature, particularly if we're, pulling on the choke point 2.0 thread. They had Sen, Silvergate had Sen, and Signature had Signet, which were these uh, internal networks that allowed the exchanges to, to send funds 24-7, 365. So um, taking those down by having Silvergate shut its doors and then forcing Signature to do the same um, is certainly a shot across the bow of the industry um, yeah. in terms of a critical infrastructure that was just taken out. And then, yeah, yeah I mean, I've, I've seen the tweets. I haven't experienced it personally. I've bought Bitcoin in the last week and haven't had a problem, but it does seem like Kraken and other exchanges are um, being prevented from having money wired to them. Who knows whether it's related to Signature Bank, Silvergate, Silicon Valley Bank, maybe these exchanges just had a lot of exposure to those three particular entities and um, other banking partners are aware of that and saying, hey, we don't feel comfortable with you guys sending money here. Yeah. Um, who knows? I would not be surprised. I mean, because they, they have to stop Bitcoin at the end of the day. If Well, this is why I think it's so interesting what Balazi is saying right now. I mean, I give him credit. I really do. Back to my chart. I'm not trying to... I mean, I'm saying it's extremely unlikely, but if he's right, it would be the call of the century, obviously, because that would be hyper-Bitcoinization. Because if it's just a pump, like all pumps, they will be temporary, but this would have to be permanent. It would have to be a a hyper-Bitcoinization event, which seems more likely to me than a pump at the moment, you know, as like a three sigma move is 500K and Bitcoin's never even hit 70K. So again, to do the math, but, uh, but, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't, I don't know what to make of it. it, it it's a bit, it's a bit Pollyannish, but it's also, and a bit alarmist, but at the same time, I mean, uh, maybe he's, maybe he's just had enough and he's, he's ready to, um, I don't know, put out the bit signal, like he says, and just have everybody just tweet about Bitcoin all the time. I, I I'm not, I'm not quite sure that, um, well, let me let me let me ask you this: Do you think that the stuff that he's saying about like you know FedNow, he says FedNow is a CBDC, it's not a CBDC. We should talk about that. But do you think like 
the, the, the kind of things that he's saying, like within the next 90 days, like I'm not living in the US, so I don't know exactly the pulse there, but is there anything, I don't know, when you go to like coffee shops and stuff, or is this what people are really worrying about where their money is with all these bank runs or are people kind of like more or less thinking this was like, okay, one off, two off, few sort of minor bank failures? It's a tough question, but where's yeah. like the pulse of people right now, not on Twitter, but like if you're talking it, to normal people. Exactly. Like unless you're extremely online and particularly on the corner of the internet that focuses on the financial sector and economics, I don't think most people realize what's going on. I'm not seeing any yeah. of that in my day to day. I've had a few one off texts of people who've been Bitcoin curious, like, oh Yeah. Like, is it really happening? Like what's going on with the banks that I've had to respond to? But I think generally, broadly speaking, in terms of the broader American populace, I don't think anybody really understands yeah. what's going on. But I mean, it could happen, it could happen, but it seems a bit, a bit weird that he pumped it. And also <laughs> he's got people going on about like he could be manipulating the market. Like he, he was paying a million dollars basically to get one Bitcoin. Whereas Matt Levine was writing, you know, you could just buy 35 Bitcoins or 40 Bitcoins. Uh, I, I'm not a, I'm not a believer in market manipulation, but that is the kind of thing that they might come after for you for if you're, if you're making off uh, regulated sort of in quotes here, air quotes, market manipulating bets where you're trying to pump something much more than you personally would benefit. Uh, it, then you're you're doing some sort of weird manipulation. Like you may benefit on the back end later, but obviously he could just buy Bitcoin if he thinks it's going to a million right now by 35 Bitcoins, but he didn't do that. He's going to get one yeah. Bitcoin. No, I don't think he's trying to manipulate the market. I do think he's trying to send a signal like, hey, something's really wrong here. So that's where it gets like something is, and we've known this, we've talked about this, why we're in Bitcoin. We understand that the way the, the banking system works is inherently fragile. Um, and that fragility has been laid bare over the last month specifically. And so, yeah, I, I think Balaji and others like ourselves understand the gravity of the situation. Yes, the broader American populace may not be aware of what's going on right now, but if things continue, like did you see Powell um, answering questions yesterday, particularly about Credit Suisse, he looked very nervous. Um, he did. He did. Like a lot of a lot of like physical cues, like touching his face and blinking his eyes. Like it seems like at that level of the power structure, they, they really understand the gravity of the situation. And that's the thing, like these things, it's like gradually then suddenly, yes, we have Silicon Valley bank and credit yeah. Suisse and everything going on in Europe right now. Um, the stuff can cascade pretty quickly. So and he's, he's walking the tightrope. I mean, look, we have this, you know, kind of inverted yield curve, like uh, 10 years, three and a half. The base rate now is five, 4.75 to five. And we're in this territory, folks. Like we are, you know, he's still raising because he wants to, you know, cut off the price inflation. But like that, that means, you know, the base rate is even higher than the 10 year. It's, it's a wild thing right now. And, um, and that's that's what he's signaling. He's not signaling to go the other way. He's not signaling to bake, bail out, you know, more these uneasy investors. As it always, they always talk about, you know, the the bond vigilantes are winning uh, right now. So that is a very uh, a very difficult thing for them. Yeah. And 
when you mentioned inflation, like that's, I think that's where like the social contagion when it begins to get into the broader populace is, I don't think they'll understand how like interest rate targeting really affects inflation, but they'll intuitively get like, we're doing these interest rate hikes to drive down inflation. Yes, CPI hit 6%, but as we've discussed throughout the year, CPI is completely borked. Like we went to the grocery store last night and bought half a bag of groceries. It was $100. My wife mm. were in the car. She was like, guess how much that was? It was like $100. So like inflation is certainly still very elevated. We had UK had a 10.4% print of their official inflation numbers yesterday. So the inflation problem in my mind has not been solved no matter how much people want to point at CPI falling to 6%. And if the banking crisis persists, which you imagine another 25 bit hike um, doesn't seem like that much, but in terms of the unrealized losses that are sitting on bank balance sheets and the precarious situation we find ourselves in with people being pretty jittery, like that, that 25 bit hike can deepen the hole that exists on these balance sheets pretty materially. That's um, huge. I mean, every, every hike is huge. You see what even 1% will do 10% down on a 10 year. So, um, you know, yeah, people are going to be moving into shorter term notes and trying to avoid this duration risk. But then that just, you know, that stifles the economy for longer, you know, longer investment projects and all the rest. So it's not, it's not uh, looking good really in any way. It's, it's the tightest tightrope that probably any Fed chair has had to walk. And it's all thanks to his predecessors. Yeah. Um, and his, uh, his, his immediate predecessor, Janet Yellen's not making the problem any better. She's out there <laughs> yesterday saying, no, we're not going to backstop all deposits. So just loosely inciting a bank on all the, or a, a bank run in all the regional banks. Yeah. I mean, they may have to get there. Like if, if people like Bill Ackman keep, tweeting in all caps or whatever, uh, non, non, uh, indented paragraphs as he was doing before, <laughs> but like, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, there's no, there's no easy way out of this and everything would just be obviously better if we had free banking, but we don't. So we have to do Bitcoin. That's the next best thing. Uh, I do think it's, it's very interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard maybe from such a, I don't know what to call Balaji. I mean, obviously he's an investor, like very influential figure, but I think he's like the most mature name, maybe that really is. Yeah, Ackman's a hack. Ackman's a hack. Well, and he's not a Bitcoiner, so he's yeah, totally a hack. But but the way that I mean in Bitcoin terms, what Balaji is saying is pretty interesting to me. It's, you know, and I, like I said, even though I, his math doesn't check out on the price, like I, I totally sympathize with everything he's saying. So, although he does need to not say that Fed now is a CBDC. All right. Fed now is just. <laughs> let's dive into that. What is Fed now? I'm still, I'm actually, I'm not well versed on Fed now. Um, and why is so, it a CBDC? In Europe, we have this goodwill payment system, which is exactly what Fed now is. It's called SEPA. Um, it's the. Actually, my what's the abbreviation? I have to look it up. It's you're a wide payment area something, and um, it, it, it maybe secured. I don't know. And uh, it's been around for 15 plus years, SEPA. And in the last five plus years, they've had SEPA Instant. It's all it is. 
basically once the European Central Bank came along and kind of knocked out the regular central banks in their countries out of a job, uh, you saw these like, they wanted to try to figure out what to do. Like, oh, at least make payments better. And it actually was a goodwill project from the central banks around Europe where uh, a SEPA account is an account that like, it's, it's basically a, a European type of an account in any European bank, right? Like you have weird looking numbers in US, we have weird looking numbers in Europe, but we have, you know, delineated by country. And when you make a SEPA payment, it immediately goes to the central bank. Like there's no clearing that needs to happen on a bank level or an interbank level, whatever, like it can go, I mean, all banks will see it, right? But of course the banks that are involved, it, they immediately see it as well as the central bank. So all it is is just a very quick way to clear. And they've had SEPA instant, literally SEPA instant for five years. Uh, that's all that FedNow is. FedNow is simply a payment rail for banks in the United States to clear transactions at the Federal Reserve. Is this where like the USIP numbers come in? Uh, I don't know if that's what they're going to call them, but no, they'd have, they, I think they'd have to have their own specific, is that what they're calling FedNow numbers? I'm not sure. I, th I thought there was like a USIP number attached to each bank. And uh, I don't know, imagine. maybe, but, but the, regardless, it's, there would be a, it's a program. Every bank would have to sign up for it and then they would have an account. It's going to look differently like, than your checking routing number ACH. It would replace that. It'd be much better. And yeah, it's, it's like nice, but it's not new or novel. It's certainly still centralized within the banking system. It's nothing incredible. But all of that, all it is, is basically, if you think of like, there's a bank teller, a digital bank teller now at the central bank that sees everything. So it sounds a well in, it sounds like the CBDC, but you're still only looking at bank accounts. You're not looking at, you know, individual, uh, individual customers. Like you're not looking, a CBDC is a, a CBDC is a liability from the Federal Reserve that it acts just like hard physical cash or bank reserves. It's it's literally on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. Fed now has nothing to do with that. It's basically just they're looking at all of the banks. All of the banks are in this going to get in this Fed now program, just like there's a SEPA program. And when a payment is made from one bank, the bank doesn't have to wait. And whatever, you know, clear its books. And then maybe at the end of the day, look at the bank reserve account and then we do some changes. Everything is going to be instantaneously cleared through this sort of digital bank teller window at the at the Federal Reserve. So it's a it's just a faster way to clear. And but just one more point, like. The Federal Reserve clears all transactions in the system. I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but that's how it's always been. So if you think about old old school checks in the United States, right, these are bankers. Uh, bankers instruments, bankers tools, where you have a check from uh, from from UBS, you have a check from Bank of America, you have a check from Wells Fargo, right? They all go throughout the system, and at the end of the day, you know, Bank of America needs to look at. And of course, this this is a rolling thing, so it could, you know, a check from five weeks ago might still be clearing through the the coffers of Bank of America. That's a Wells Fargo check, and then finally, it gets there, it gets to the top of the of the stack. And Wells Fargo and Bank of America go to the Fed and they say, OK, we got a little bit of a, of a discrepancy. We got to clear this. And you clear that with bank reserves. So it goes up, up, up. It always that's just how a, that's what a central bank does. It's the, it's the not really it wasn't originally the lender of last resort. It was a clearing bank. And there were free market banks like this in the United States. There was one called the Suffolk Bank. It was in New England. It did a lot of this. So this could totally happen in the market if 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 that was like ideal. Of course, now with Bitcoin, we don't need it. 
but uh, it's just a me- uh, it's just a method of clearing, just like checks. But checks take a long time, and then eventually you got to get something that's not even a check to clear between banks, and that's that bank reserve account. So when SVB was withdrawing, SVB depositors wanted all their money out. They were going, and and obviously they were doing that like with a digital check. They were doing that online. They said we got to get our money out, out, out. They didn't have any bank reserves. So they had to sell those bad assets to, bit, to raise bank reserves and then to transfer those deposits to other banks because that's what their customers wanted to do. So it's a multi-step process, right? But with, uh, with FedNow, it's a, it's a recognition by all banks that this transaction is happening. It can happen you know, in real time through the Federal Reserve. But it's still bank money. It's absolutely still bank money. It's only with bank deposits. It's not with anything that even remotely resembles a CBDC. So I don't say it's good. I don't say it paves the way for more, uh, you know, individual innovation in society and everything. But that's what Fed now is. It's just a, it's a digital clerk at the central bank that's going to clear uh, bank payments all at once. And so the, the question in my mind <clears throat> after that explanation is just, is this just like semantics? Because the Fed is backstopping everything and they are spinning up these facilities. Does it really matter at the end of the day? Yeah, I think so for now. Uh, again, I, I would not disagree with someone if they said this is like, again, paving the road to tyranny and everything. I agree with all that. Like, look, I'm on the uh, me and uh, Janine from this month of Bitcoin Privacy and Nick Anthony from Cato. We we uh, got a grant from Human Rights Foundation to work on a CBDC tracker. So we're going to do that this year. And so I'm all like I'm all about understanding the dangers of CBDCs. Um, but CBDCs are very, very different in that with a CBDC, that's literally like there are no bank accounts. It's just the central bank and there are no bank decisions. It's just the central bank. And the central bank is the one that is going to tell you like, okay, you can, your money, which is literally like a, a physical dollar, but in digital form, it's located on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, not on any other bank's balance sheet. And they're going to say, okay, you can take that money and spend on alcohol this week, or you can't, or you can take that, you know, you spent too much this week in general, or we're going to have to limit you this week. And that has a whole host of other Orwellian problems that are different. This is not like, uh, it, it's not like light years better fed now, but at least as far as the antiquated, you know, horribly slow ACH system that the U S the U S has now, which is still like, you know, not, I mean, we're, you know, we're still using checks in the U S right. So, uh, I know ACH is in checks, but like all of these different things, the idea is just to simplify it, standardize it. Like Europe did succeed with SEPA. No one uses a check in Europe. Everybody uses SEPA. It's instantaneous, basically, and it's easy. And everybody sees it. All the banks see it. So from that side, I understand it. I understand why they're trying to do it, but it's absolutely not a CBDC. CBDC is uh, it's it's currency that is on the central bank's balance sheet and nobody else's. And that's not what bank money is. So with bank money, you have M1, M2, M3, demand deposits, time deposits, all the rest. You know, banks still making decisions, banks still lending into projects in the economy. You know, CBDC is like full on nationalized digital digital money. Yeah. Well, that gets in to another discussion, which is we've talked about this many times throughout our, our monetary base update series, which is you don't believe that a CBDC is likely because of the role of commercial banks and the fact that they'd be cut out of this equation. And I think the events of the last three weeks 
have brought something like I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation because I wanted to pose this question to you. Like with the yeah. route to the CBDC, it's just destroying all the commercial banks. Uh, <laughs> like you start with the regional well, banks, they roll up to JP Morgan, Bank of America, yeah. Wells Fargo, and then which seems like it, it's happening right now. And then you get all the money centralized there. And then all you got to do is take out the big four, big five and boom, CBDC is here. Yeah, well, uh, the systemically important banks, the SIB banks, right? They uh, they are certainly in control. They are certainly benefiting from this. They're certainly going to benefit from, as was the speculation, people that want to take money out of the smaller regional banks and go into a more national, important, you know, hand in the cookie jar SIB bank. So that's always been the case. That's always uh, been the case. It's definitely going to be the case. Uh, again, not good. It's why we Bitcoin. This is why a central bank isn't good. Um, and it's not needed. You know, again, just a little bit of history. Like the United States has always had a problem with this. Like in in Canada, in Sweden, in Scotland, you know, in the 1800s, 1900s, you, you didn't, uh, Canada all the way to 1935, um, you could have a bank note. You could have a, a bank money, right? It doesn't matter what you would call it. Uh, a, a bill, a bank note, uh, a something that actually has pictures on it that is from this individual bank, but it's under a gold standard dollar, uh, which was an important thing to keep in mind, uh, or, or a gold standard pound, whatever it might be. And you could have that note and you could go across the country, whether it's Canada or Scotland's not as big, Sweden, you could go across the country and you could redeem it at any other bank at par and it would be fine. It would work. That's like the beauty of free banking. The U.S. didn't even allow that. So like from the 1850s, the U.S. had this National Banking Act, which, you know, everybody talks about the Fed in 1913, but there were really bad central banking practices from the U.S., from the federal government's perspective by, by the Civil War, by Lincoln's time. First of all, he made all banks invest in federal union bonds, war bonds. Um, you know, I'm not commenting on the Civil War. I'm just saying, uh, uh, you know, obviously slavery needed to end. That was of it and everything else but like the he uh he made he made uh, banks invest in fe in federal uh bonds that was like the first time in united states history and if you were a state chartered bank you could not you could not branch outside of that state like there was no there were no banks that that could could move like that so you always had this like you know these massive discounts and notes if you go from one state to the next and then you started to get some national banks that came in, Bank of America uh, was one of the early ones. And, you know, you, you start to like solve that problem a little bit, but, you know, compared to Canada, which was just operating just fine across the border, like the money supply looked great. The, you know, it was very seasonal, It'd go up or down during the harvest and just like very predictable. It's just, it was, you know, the history is much better without a central bank and without federal banking regulations than it is with. Uh, a lot of people probably think these arg arguments are just moot now because we have Bitcoin. And I understand that. Um, I'm not for, you know, just going back to something without Bitcoin. Absolutely. We need to have Bitcoin, uh, a Bitcoin standard. I just don't think that the uh, perhaps Pollyannish view that it's going to be like all Bitcoin all the time, only that without any what, you know, what I call fiduciary media, which is the term is not going to exist. Um, I think you're going to have to have. Uh, certainly, I mean, we know this is a generational thing, right? You think about us hardcore Bitcoiners. We tell everybody 
put your keys, you know, if you want full reserve Bitcoin, then fully reserve your Bitcoin, right? Like I'm, I am 100% for full reserving your own Bitcoin, uh, you know, and running your own node. But a lot of people can't do that. And this is why you have things like banks that's, you know, sprung up and you have fiduciary media and all this stuff. It's fine. It helps things scale. So I don't know. I don't want to get on too many different tangents there, but the regardless, Bitcoin is a new form of base money. That's what I do with the, you know, the quarterly updates. And that's, uh, that's, that's fantastic. But I think we're definitely, and, and Balaji probably, if not picking this fight, he's definitely like, uh, acknowledging that this fight is probably really on, which I agree. Once you see this operation choke point stuff, I mean, I think we're definitely at the, now they fight you stage. Um, I, you know, he, he made this claim. I heard a, I heard a clip of him. I actually agree with this very much. He said like in the context of the United States, it could be like red States, blue States, you know, you have mm -hmm. red States, friendly States, Florida, Texas, you know, Wyoming, so on and so forth. I agree with that very much. I think that that's, that's rational and normal. And, you know, it's not going to be, just one Orwellian hellscape of a capital like Hunger Games style and everybody else is just impoverished. I just, especially in the United States where we have such a strong private property and justice system generally, which doesn't always work for the people as it should, as we all know, there's plenty of bad things to say about the way that the justice system works at the end of the day at the United States federal level. But uh, the state's rights stuff and everything in the United States, I think is very, very good. And that's, that's all gonna come to the test now uh, but if what I saw that the U.S. did uh, during COVID happens again with this banking stuff, I, I'm, I'm pretty encouraged by it, actually, because uh, we were a mess over here in Europe. I mean, way too draconian of lockdowns, nobody thinking clearly, rationally. And if you didn't like that in the U.S., you just go to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> or come to Texas. So, yeah, yeah. So I, from that side, I'm actually very encouraged and um Again, Balaji sounded a bit too doom and gloom with some of these things, but I, but what he said there, it really rung home true to me, at least. Yeah, and I wrote about this last night too, because here in Texas, uh, one of the state representatives put up a bill that uh, no Texan should uh, have their right to to hold Bitcoin uh, taken from them. So that all Texas legislator votes, I believe, every two years, and this year is one of the uh one of the years which they'll be passing laws and so this is one of the laws that will hit the floor and hopefully it passes and i, I think it actually is essential that it passes in 2023 we don't have to wait till 2025 because i do think that then they fight you stage is upon us and it is going to come come down to the states to stand up for this stuff yeah that's huge and that that's so reminiscent of like the these fights that the, you know that the the Federal Reserve is the fourth national bank of the United States, right? There was actually the Bank of North America, which was before the U.S. was founded. Then there was the first two banks, central banks of the United States. They both failed. Andrew Jackson brought the second one down famously. And um, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, like these same types of fights between bankers in the state banks versus the national bank, basically. And, and the U.S. held out long. But again, still had bad federal regulations, still had bad, you know, you had to buy governments, banks couldn't branch and all these bad things. It was much worse in the US than it was in like say Canada or Scotland or Sweden. But um, the, the fact that the state's rights stuff is really coming to the fore here. And I really, I could tell you from across the pond, I saw it. 
uh, it was very strong in the U.S. and I think it's very encouraging, really encouraging. Yeah. I, I mean, it's part of the reason I moved to Texas. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stuff going down here in the Bitcoin industry, but most importantly, it seemed that Texas was one of those beachheads. It was like, hey, we'll, we'll protect your rights. And hopefully that continues. And I'm very bullish on Texas making the right decision with this particular bill that's hitting the floor this year. Um, because I've spoken to many politicians and people throughout the energy industry here, and it is undeniable that mining specifically is helping the, the Texas grid and is helping drive tax revenues and, and people get it down here. And I, I really, yeah. that if that law passes the Texas legislature, um, it's going to be massive. That's like a massive signal to other states. Like, Hey, you guys should be adopting similar laws. If you, if you believe in freedom and private property rights, because the war is upon us, they're going to try and cut off the on and off ramps. And that's what I said last night in the newsletter. Like it's all up to the States to, to begin standing up for, for their citizens against the federal government. Cause you look at DC, it's, they're not going to get anything done. They're just going to keep getting more draconian and more draconian. And I think, Many people in the country are putting their hands up like, hey, it's it's time to begin ignoring these people in D.C. They're completely detached from reality. And if you look at the incentive, just the pure incentives of D.C. and the Federal Reserve, like they they have to try to maintain their grasp of control over everything. And Bitcoin severely hinders their, their ability to do that. So it just makes sense that they'll try to cut it out at the knees and then again comes up to the states to say hey we're not we're not playing this game anymore yeah speaking of uh mining you want to talk about that methane versus flaring <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um, i'm sorry i didn't respond immediately i mean it was morning your time i was like i rolled over my son woke up in the middle of the night so i read it like 2 2 a.m forgot to respond. oh dude i i didn't expect you to read it until like five minutes before we started the show so no worries <laughs> So Matthew sent me uh, the uh, the clip of Cal Penn talking about uh, the dangers of Bitcoin mining and, and methane. Was was it about because he's talked about Bitcoin? Is, I didn't actually watch like it. Is he like a Bloomberg spokesman now or something? I just think it's funny they're bringing on actors to give the news. But. Yeah, Cal Penn's had an interesting uh, career path. From he did Harold, work for Obama. Yeah, he? from Harold and Kumar to Kumar. the Obama administration <laughs> and. Uh, and now, yeah, he's a spokesperson for Bloomberg to shit on Bitcoin for some reason or another. Yeah. But this one, this one I sent you was just out six hours or six days before it came across my feed. I can't remember which even, but um, he was talking about methane and the dangers of, you know, methane leaking from all of the natural gas facilities, natural gas facilities. And um, I was wondering how familiar you are with your mining research if you know like is that uh is is flaring a component of that or is it completely different when you're talking about methane leaking because he didn't seem to mention flaring during that uh obviously i know flaring is good for bitcoin like don't flare your natural natural gas just you know mine bitcoin with it but this you know this whole idea about natural gas being so bad and it's leaking or flaring it seems like bitcoin can help a lot of that certainly can and so with methane leak particularly there's two predominant ways i believe just be my experience in the industry that it leaks one you have just abandoned stranded wells that aren't being maintained they're capped but not efficiently and over time 
the well infrastructure sort of erodes and leaks happen and, and methane leaks into the atmosphere. If you're not maintaining, that just happens. Um, and these are right. just stranded wells that never had pipeline connectivity to get the gas to market. And then flaring, yes, it does contribute to methane leaking into the atmosphere because the flare stacks are not 100% efficient at combusting the methane, particularly when the wind's blowing um, right. uh, rather strongly. So if the wind's blowing strongly, um, the the torch isn't going to get all the gas and some will leak into the atmosphere. Yeah. So yes, in both scenarios, that's actually um, one of the strategies we have at Standard Bitcoin. It's up in Appalachia. Uh, there's a bunch of these stranded wells that have no pipeline connectivity that are just not being maintained. Um, so we'll go scoop them up, maintain them, put a generator on them, mine Bitcoin, prevent the leak. Uh, then yes, upstream at the wellhead where the gas is coming out. If it doesn't have pipeline connectivity or there's simply not enough room in the pipeline, they'll flare and you can mitigate that flare by plugging in a generator mining Bitcoin with it instead of flaring it. And then there's, I mean, we actually had the Bitcoin takeover <clears throat> event here in Austin last Friday. And I did a panel discussion or really like a fireside discussion with Justin Ballard where you can, Bitcoin mining can create this setup uh, in the gas supply chain where you don't even have to send containers upstream to to flare on site on the well pad you can actually suck when the concept is like suck the flare in from the midstream so instead of going up to the wellhead and putting a generator down like where they're actually extracting the oil and gas out of the ground you go to one of like the the midstream um processors and you put like a big mining operation there so you essentially suck a lot of the gas in at midstream which opens up pipeline capacity. Um, so you don't even have to flare upstream. You just create more capacity in the pipelines to to get the gas downstream to, to the midstream providers. Um, so yeah, I think Bitcoin mining is certainly going to make us extremely efficient in terms of utilizing all the methane that we're taking out of the ground or leaving behind after um, an oil and gas operation has sucked all the oil out and just left the gas well behind. Yeah, something tells me he's not going to be talking about that on Bloomberg anytime soon. No, no. They're trying to kill us, Matthew. And then they, they want to destroy our energy infrastructure. They want to funnel us into FedNow and eventually the CBDC world. Um, but we're not going to let there's, them. There's the Marty I know. That's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coffee's dripping into those veins. <laughs> they really are. I mean, you just look at everything they're doing. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's just mass incompetence. Maybe it's just them playing in their incentive system, which dictates that they have to keep control at all costs. And the cost of keeping control is completely decimating uh, freedom, your energy infrastructure, quality of life, all for the control. Yeah. The pretense of knowledge, right? You cannot control this stuff from a board from on high, as, as Hayek taught us. Yeah. It's really remarkable that, you know, we're trying to bumble along this sort of like Politburo type path uh, when literally, you know, our former enemies in the, well, still enemies in the East, you know, particularly Russia, former Soviet Union, like definitely not getting any better. And, you know, Xi and Putin having their summits and they're talking about the Yuan. Do you see that? Yeah. They're talking about how the Yuan is like going to be the new world reserve currency. Putin's saying this. Of course, after he's having to, you know, 
do biblical things to G at their, uh, at their meeting, you know, I mean, they're just, it's, it's just embarrassing. It's so embarrassing all around. And, uh, there's, there's no, there's no escape, man. There's no escape other than Bitcoin, unfortunately. Well, that was really the crux of last night's newsletter that I sent out. It was titled there's blood in the water. And it's like the frustrating thing is we don't have our house in order here. We have the Biden administration having the cast of Ted Lasso show up to the white house on Monday. Like, really? To do, yeah. Like that, that's where his priorities are. It's like sitting down with the cast of this TV show while all this is going on. You have G making power moves with Saudi Arabia, Iran with Russia. And they really think that this is an opportunity particularly. And we have a banking crisis going on here at the same yeah. time. So we're trying to put out all these fires and it's, it seems very obvious to me that the other superpowers of the world smell the blood in the water and are moving quickly and with purpose to sort of re-architect the financial layer of international trade in their favor. And we're just sitting here with our fucking fingers up our assholes, just talking to Ted Lasso. It's like, <laughs> it's like fucking mind boggling. Um, but again, ended on a positive Ted Lasso. He's a good Lithuanian American, but you know, yeah, but, Anyway, I agree. He's a good person, but we have, we have uh, more pressing needs and priorities that, that should be yeah. attended to uh, than yeah. sitting down in the Oval Office with, with the cast of a TV show. But um, we have an incredible opportunity because they're trying to make all these power moves. Xi, Putin, um, even Saudi Arabia, like Saudi Arabia doing all this stuff with them is like the signal in the room. Like, hey, <laughs> we are wholly dependent on them. Uh, holding up the, the petrodollar system and they begin to cozy up yeah. with China and Russia more like that's fucked. And that's one of the core pillars of reserve, the dollar reserve system in the world. And that seems to be getting chopped, chopped down right before our eyes. And nobody seems to be saying anything about it. But with that in mind, it also presents an incredible opportunity for us of why we really need to beat the drums of States. It's time to st stand up. We can't depend on DC to fix this problem for us because Bitcoin, like they're, they're going to go in the wrong direction. I'm going to go like Yuan backed uh, gold backed international settlement currency when we have Bitcoin. And like, if we really want to leapfrog out of this banking crisis and out of this morass that the U S finds itself in, the States need to stand up and say, Hey, we can all use Bitcoin. We're going to begin trading in Bitcoin. You can hold Bitcoin. You can mine Bitcoin, you can send Bitcoin, you can receive Bitcoin. And that is how we defeat the the BRICS country. I don't even say defeat, but that's how we um, put forth a better strategy to, to actually maintain control uh, to some extent is let them go do the yuan backed, the gold backed settlement currency, and we'll leapfrog them with Bitcoin. Um, terms of taking advantage of an opportunity um things seem pretty dire here but if we don't shoot ourselves in the foot we could we can maintain some semblance of strength via bitcoin yeah you would actually bring uh strength back to the country i mean you could even still have the dollar it's kind of the michael Saylor talking point which i don't particularly like but you, know, you don't have to you don't have to print money to run a government, right? You can, you can, you can run deficits, even you can borrow money, even it's just not going to be as cheap as you like. And it's not going to be cheap anyway, they're raising rates anyway. So stop printing 
you know, fully and uh, use something like Bitcoin, you can still run deficits if you really want, or they're just, you know, you're going to have to pay for them eventually with tax and with, uh, with interest rates, if you want to do that. And, um, you know, then the, then you have a much more sound principled, like free system that investors would want to invest in more, uh, as opposed to just trying to go down this Orwellian, you know, CBDC path and stuff. And I do, I do think that that's going to be, that's a tough one for the United States. Uh, we didn't quite touch on that, but you know, again, as I've always said, like cash is still in use. If it's not from coming from cash, right? Because the CBDC is central bank money. If it's not coming from physical cash, which is flying around the world, it grows at 10% per year per annum compounded uh, on a blended rate. If they're not going to get uh, like liquidity for a CBDC from physical cash, which is a direct competitor on their own balance sheet, then the only other place you take it is a bank deposit. And the banks themselves own the central bank. You know, the banks own the Federal Reserve. Uh, they actually own the... F- the 12, you know, regional branches of the federal reserve. And, um, and I, I just, I have a hard time seeing bankers allow that to happen, especially with the dollar status in the world. So you can put it back in, you know, in good, uh, in good, uh, form just by using Bitcoin and not, not printing, choosing to print money. But that I think is almost as unlikely as Balaji's uh, prediction, unfortunately. <laughs> I would agree there. <clears throat> it all comes back to the states and individuals standing up. I'm actually extremely bullish and optimistic because, like you mentioned, I think COVID in the aftermath of the lockdowns and states asserting their rights, I think COVID lockdowns particularly and the vaccination campaign was a misstep by the government. It went too far, too fast. People had their antenna up and they're saying, hey, I don't want that to happen again. And if they were to try to like, create some Orwellian banking system right on the heels of all of that, I think more and more people are attuned to what's going on and be like, hey, wait a second. You just royally fucked up for the, the first part of the 2020s. Like, I don't trust you to make a decision with my money. I'm actually going to go use Bitcoin. Thank you, but no thank you. That's why they're... They're doing Operation Choke Point 2.0. Yeah. How do we how do we route around 2.0? Can we? How do we fight? Well, they're I think fighting there are us. plenty. Of, yeah, I think there are plenty of good tools. Um, and it goes back to like what we used to say in the old days, right? Like you, you can mine Bitcoin, you can earn Bitcoin, um, spend Bitcoin, but you know, don't worry about too much trying to acquire it with fiat. Now, of course, that's, you know, that's Balaji's message as well, right? This recently, he's given it 90 days. But uh, I, I do think that you're still going to find on ramps in the next few years for that. But who knows, could come faster than not. But yeah, I, I still think that, you know, even th- this is the exact point of Bitcoin, right? It's not it's not too it's not to be just sweetly embraced by all the regimes, whether they be democratic or totalitarian around the world and, you know, just come in and be the currency of choice. No, they want their own currency that they can print precisely for the reasons we just talked about. You know, you can, you could bid up your nation state's bonds, uh, with that process. And that's just, that's, that's alchemy. They don't want to give that up. No. And this actually brings up another point in why operation choke, 
choke point 2.0 it's probably definitely happening excuse me and the signal here is custodia bank out of wyoming caitlin long mm-hmm. trying to bring not only a fully reserved bank but an over reserved bank to market and she's yeah. getting stonewalled by the federal reserve and many are people like oh it's because it's a crypto bank but it's no it's because it's a fully reserved and over reserved bank and if you create yeah. uh, the optionality on the market for people to hold their money in a bank with 108% reserves or one with 0% reserves they are naturally going to choose the fully reserved bank over time for a, a good portion of their deposits. And so you're going to have a run on the bank. So they literally cannot allow that bank to exist because it would open up a scenario in the game theory where you would have a run on the, they're not even fractionally reserved, the zero reserve banks to this fully reserved yeah. bank. And that's exactly what Bitcoin is. Like that's, I mean, Bitcoin's already exists and is already out there. Most people just don't recognize like if we're comparing Bitcoin to the banking system, Bitcoin is that fully reserved bank that you can run to. Um, and so you have to imagine that they recognize that Bitcoin actually exists and is the fully reserved bank that people can run to. Most people don't understand it yet, but at some point the, the social contagion and information disparate dispersion is going to hit ahead and people are going to have that light bulb go off and they'll start running to Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and she's the perfect, stop that. she's the perfect example. And that's like the trouble of the regulated centralized central banking system that we have, you know, I mean, you can winkle by all day and sing in your band and try to, you know, like be this kumbaya sort of like uh, we, we have, you know, markets need regulating and this, you know, take out as many Wall Street Journal full page advertisements as you need during the course of your journey, trying to be fully entrenched in Wall Street and all the rest. But at the end of the day, that's precisely like the opposite reason for Bitcoin's existence. It's not to become regulated and clear and part of people's 401k plans that's that's the best advertisement that bitcoin could possibly get is if it's banned in fact so i I do think that that's a possibility it's a possibility that they don't understand that they they haven't gotten that but like and then you think about that from caitlin long's perspective like i fully support her she's been on my show and obviously she's great and it's a great noble goal although you would have to pay again this goes back to banking right you would have to pay for storage yeah yeah because she wants it to be a bailment not a uh, not a deposit account, which is basically every other bank account in the in the in the world. Um, so that's that's one thing. I, I totally think she should do it. I totally think it's great. It's absolutely what we would need. We see that they don't allow uh, the competition, but then you have to ask yourself, like, reg- like from her perspective. But then, as like you as a Bitcoiner looking at her, it's like, what are you going to root for? I mean, is it? Are you holding all your hopes on Caitlin Long? Like, are you are you holding all your hopes on the success of Bitcoin with Caitlin Long becoming a regulated, fully custodian reserve bank? You know, with a Federal Reserve master account. Like, is that success in our in our Bitcoin dream? You know, like in our Bitcoin goals and like the Bitcoin mission. Obviously not. I mean, the Federal Reserve having you know more jurisdiction over more Bitcoin in their system is actually not the the end goal. And this is contrary to what a lot of people think, you know, it's like, oh, central banks taking Bitcoin on their balance sheet, it's gonna be great, this and that. Like, no, it's it's gotta be a complete replacement. You can't, you can't have that. Like that, 
this was my speech in in Riga uh, in September, which you might remember at Honey Badger. Very good. Um, like that's exactly what happened to the gold market. Like if you were a gold bug in 1969, 1970, 71, all economists in the world, dumb as they are, thought gold was going to zero. Thought gold was going to zero after 1971 and it started to float freely and Americans could own it. The opposite happened. It went to 850 bucks an ounce for two seconds. You're loving it. If you're at a conference in, you know, about gold in the 1970s, you're just loving life. You're thinking this is it. The central bank is owning gold, taking it over. And of course, we know what happened from there after Volcker ended the bubble and they started manipulating the market. You get GATA, all the rest. But like um, that, that is like central banks own one fifth of the world's gold, one fifth to one sixth of the world's gold they own 1.1 billion ounces of gold like that's not where you want the gold you don't want the gold in the central bank because they're just going to take it away from you as they did before and that would be the case with bitcoin that would be the case so uh again I, i'm very much in the full fully reserved camp just do it do it yourself you can't trust anybody else to do that and so this is where these i'm kind of like she should absolutely do it. I absolutely agree with everything well, that Caitlin is doing, but that's not success in Bitcoin is if she gets a federally regulated, fully reserved Bitcoin bank. It actually would be, you know, showing that it does show their weakness, but it, they're not like, they're not giving up at all at that point. They're going to try to take more and more and more once, once that uh, occurs. We would need to have like a full overhaul and a full uh, Bitcoin standard uh, to win. To agreed. Win. I mean, you can easily see the order of operations. And again, I love what Custodia is aiming to do. I think it should exist. I think it's funny Agreed. Agreed. that they the Fed is not allowing it. But And they're gonna, she's going to uh, appeal. I mean, she, she's going to fight a good fight. Absolutely, 100%. I would support her. They'll never let yeah. it happen, though, because you have the option of a full reserve bank or a zero yeah. reserve bank. Like People are going to go to the full reserve bank. You'll have a run on the system, but... Let's play through the scenario where it somehow does get through and there is no run on the banks to the full reserve bank. Like it starts there. Well, you can make an argument that it wouldn't because like they depending on how they roll it out with marketing and also you have to pay. Like this is the thing that people that always <laughs> cheer fully reserves on. You have, will have to pay and a lot of people don't want to pay. So I'm not saying that a lot of people won't pay, but you will have to pay for that account. It's like a gold money account. I think Silicon Valley Bank customers are, are willing to pay. That, that, yeah, they will pay. That, anyway, regardless, continue on with the train of thought. Let's say it gets through and they do gets it. It gets through. Order of operations. You have this bank. It is able to custody Bitcoin, fully reserve stuff. And then that's, that's the order of operations. That happens. Then the government points like, oh, you need to do it this way. You can't hold it in self-custody. Like, we need to put Absolutely. up guardrails for you. <laughs> like, so send all your money to uh, custodia. And the competitors that, that spring up in its wake. And then they'll try to force people to send the Bitcoin there. It's pretty simple. It's a two, two operation, order of operation. So you get it. And then the government says, you have to hold it here. We don't trust you with your keys. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely uh, not like a win for Bitcoin. If like, I don't know, the bank of India, the fed, the central bank of, uh, the ECB and BOJ, they get together and they just start reserving Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, it will make the price explode and we'll be happy for a little bit, but like what's going to come later is not going to be fun. So that's not, that's not the way that you win in my opinion. No, 
And luckily for us, these people are stupid. Like they're not letting it happen. I don't think they're going to let it happen. And that provides an incredible opportunity for us is to do this right. And and again, that's why, again, I think the signal with what Balaji, the tip he's been on the last week, isn't Bitcoin to a million dollars. It's Bitcoin in self-custody. I think that's the signal in his message. It's like, hey, this shit's happening. These people do not want Bitcoin to succeed. They cannot let Bitcoin succeed if they want to maintain their power um, and they will fight tooth and nail to maintain that power. And part of that fight is preventing you from getting Bitcoin. So while you still have the opportunity, get Bitcoin and getting in, into wallets that you control. I think that's a signal of, of Blagy's message deep down. I don't think he believes it's going to hit a million dollars. It's a great, it's a great message. The only thing that I would say is this, this sort of the end thing you said, like why you still have the opportunity. I think there's always going to be opportunity. There's always opportunities to get gold. It's always opportunity to get Bitcoin. That's probably the part that's most overblown. Is uh, there's definitely ways to get it. There's ways to hold it, spend it. I mean, obviously, we all know that there's ways to hold it and spend it uh, natively. There's no problem at all. It's no problem at all. It's just a question of uh, you know the noobs and the rubes like getting getting uh, access, which uh, might be harder if it's like. Of course, it'll be harder if they try to actually fully ban it. But I don't see that happening in America. Like I said, I don't see it happening with uh, our property rights and our state's rights and everything else. I just don't see it happening. Neither do I. But again, let's play through the uh, scenario where it does happen. I still think the uh, the common man will get access to Bitcoin because it'll just have what's popped up in any country with currency controls, strict currency controls. You just have a black market for it where you'll have your, your dollar price goods at the POS system, and then you'll give the the merchant the eye, like, hey, I'm, I'm down to paying Bitcoin, and I'll pull out his, his blue wallet or something, and you'll just pay that. And I think uh, that'll be the way most people, if the scenario plays out, who weren't able to acquire Bitcoin on an exchange and send it to self-custody, will be acquiring Bitcoin. There will be a, a gray slash black market of yeah. Bitcoin transactions that spin up, and you'll acquire it by providing goods and services. Yeah. That needs to happen before CBDCs take control because if CBDCs replace cash, which again, I don't see happening anytime soon, but if they do, then you start to get into more Orwellian scenarios. I've had enough. And that's coming from... I've had enough Sorry. of this. I've had enough of this. Fuck these people. I'm know, mad man. as hell. Who are they to thrust a CBDC on us? They can't even... They can't even keep the energy. They can't even fucking maintain the railroads. Who are they to to force us into a CBDC panopticon? That's what, like, again, I'm incredibly optimistic because I think this mentality, maybe I'm naive, but I think deep down the silent majority has this, like, all right, I've had a fucking enough mentality. And they will civilly disobey any CBDC order. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think it doesn't make sense economically anyway for, for the banks with this. So. Yeah. Should we jump into the monetary base update? <laughs> we can jump wherever, man. We can, uh, we don't have to go too much longer. Uh, it's getting, I got, I got some time, but I got some time. Uh, we, we can run it on this, uh, this charting engine that I have actually, if you want me to put the screen back up, it's probably yeah, it's- better than the, the tweets. So this one is a new one that I made basically. Uh, this is, so for all, for 
for those of you, I hope there's not too many, but if you're new to my work on this, like this is the money supply, the fiat money supply that works the same as Bitcoin, meaning it's the center of the system. As I just talked about with, you know, banks clearing up, up, up at the top of the, the food chain with, with reserves, right? That's, uh, that's base. That's called base money. That's the final ultimate settlement of cash. Totally different than bank money. Totally different than when you put a bank deposit in. Um, obviously, you know, it, it sounds like I'm always defending banks when I say this stuff. And I am defending banks from the perspective of a free banking picture, but I'm obviously not defending the banks from a perfect perspective of a central bank picture. But the central bank, obviously, they are the ones that uh, at the end of the day, they're the tap for all the money. Okay, so this is this is the money that they create. When you say the printing press, when you say basic money, the monetary base, that's what this is. And it's funny because like you can't find this anywhere. You have to go in every central bank's balance sheet to actually find it. So here I broke it down this time into the top five like liberal economies, which, you know, for now, we're still better than these human rights abusers uh, in, you know, my neighbor uh, in Russia and China and obviously uh, many other parts of the world. So the top five currencies there are the U.S. dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound and the Swiss franc. Basically, these are top four currencies anyway. It's just the Swiss franc. Uh, you would switch out with the Chinese yuan in this chart versus the other. So like 85 to 90% of this light blue area is China. Shows you how huge it is. Actually starts right here in 1999. This big bump of data comes from them. Uh, also comes from Y2K, but they both happened at the same time. And uh, so it's interesting. I have a GDP, also population on this chart you can see here. So basically like back here, I can't zoom in always. Here you have like the, the Nixon shock ended, like back to like kind of the modern era of fiat banking, the Vietnam War ended. This was the Smithsonian agreement. This is kind of like a 10 year kind of bullshit, like trying to keep the gold standard pegged to the dollar. It didn't last very long, not even 10 year, 10 country. Uh, agreement and it ended by 1976 and then you're basically fully fully fiat but anyway here you see that the top five uh currencies were like 85 90 percent at times of the global monetary base and i do hasten to say that china isn't in that data but it's just you know i don't have them yet if there's any chinese speakers by the way that can help me find historical chinese monetary base that'd be interesting but they were much smaller anyway during the 60s and 70s and then um we were also like, you know, 67% of GDP around this time in 1980, 17% of uh, global population. So China comes in here, they switch it, they, they, uh, they, they influence this a lot. So that, if you look at this. That top line is at the US dollar share? Uh, the, the, the dotted line? That, yeah, the top line there. That's the top five share. Okay. It's, these, it's these five. So it's okay, the dollar, it's euro, okay. yen. Okay. It's all five together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were at like 90, the liberal world, right? It was like 90% of the monetary base here. Yes, I don't have China in these early years, but you know, China comes here. You see this dips here, mm -hmm. the black line. So if you go from here, it was uh, not 80, but 70. So China was still, is, is obviously a huge part there. But anyway, 70% of GDP, 70% of the monetary base here in 2000. And then if you go to the global financial crisis, this is what's kind of interesting is uh, we're still 70% of the 
this liberal world money, right? The euro dollar yen, it's still 70% of the monetary base. But as we know, China's like roaring part of the economy. So we're only 50% of the economy here, which I think is interesting. Uh, falling, of course, a little bit in population as well. We're a little bit higher percentage of population. Now we're only 12% of population. And like you said, this is what they're betting on that like, you know, obviously this new century for them. And even though they're just ignoring all their human rights abuses and nonsense, um, that's what they want to try to do is take over the world from their like totalitarian regimes. But, uh, we're still 50% of GDP, but, uh, interestingly, we're still 70% of global money, which does show some faith, uh, some faith in, uh, in these sort of main currencies compared to like the Chinese <laughs> kind of goes back to what we were saying before, right? about like how valuable could really a Chinese ruble world currency be. I really doubt that, but you know, that's what they're trying to do. So here you see the big COVID stimulus. We went to uh, the total was 30 trillion. We've talked about this on your show and my show lots. And then it's, they've tried to, to, uh, to do quantitative tightening as they call it here. Uh, and it's going to start to come back up a little bit, but now it's about 27, 27 and a half trillion dollars. Uh, but the Fed also has a huge reverse repo position, which is basically base money for non-banks, like for money market mutual funds and stuff. So you could kind of take, I'm not counting that here, you could kind of take this back up to, to three tr uh, 30 trillion. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. But uh, yeah, that is the that is the figures. And I, I, I think we're, we're still seeing, you know, you could line up interest rates and it'll be interesting to see here as well. Most of the time, obviously the explosion here of the monetary base, uh, the explosion of, of what we call the printing press, it happened, as we said at the top of the show, while interest rates were at zero or near zero levels for the last 15 years, um, especially here during COVID. And during COVID, it actually got really right into the economy, you know, with all the stimulus checks, with the uh, corporate you know, company sort of bailouts or company stimulus, whatever you call it, right? That was like right, you know, needle to the vein of the system. Uh, whereas here, which you can't even see it that much, let's even take off everything but the dollar just to show you. Here after the financial crisis, <laughs> this looks so, actually, take off this. This was a huge bump, like one of the, you know, biggest bumps ever. Right? <laughs> we went from like under a trillion to two trillion in, you know, in less than a year. And then, you know, that was QE one, two, three, went all the way up to 4 trillion in base money. But then here we took it all the way up to even 6 trillion and you got the reverse repo facility, which is still on top of that. Um, but here, unlike what happened in COVID in here, you know, you had the fed, which is basically just bailing out bad bets, but that money didn't get back into the system because they paid interest on these reserves, which there's never been interest paid on base money before. Before this event, but um, I, I, I think that it's only a matter, a matter of time for him to start uh, trying to print again. But like you said, they're still going to have to worry about inflation, which is much worse than it's ever been. Yeah, well, I mean, when you get down to like the semantic, their balance sheet's expanding already again. 300 billion as of last week and it's probably, probably a lot posted, more. It's even posted right now. I'll check it. Yeah. You know, 
I know you said you don't think the likelihood is very high, but with these power moves being made as this bike banking crisis is unfolding, the power moves by China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Mexico throwing their hat in the ring. Like I think they're definitely going to try the yuan-backed settlement network or the gold back. Oh, they will. They will. They'll try to use gold and manipulate it. That gold is a part of it. Absolutely. Which is just idiotic if you buy into that. Agreed. But I wonder if it will materially affect the monetary base charts. We check like Q2, Q3 this year. Because I think, again, going back to Saudi, Saudi is the signal here. And they mentioned in January they're open to settling their their oil trades and currencies other than the U.S. dollar, specifically named yuan and the euro. And then you fast forward three months to this week. They're shaking hands with Iran, facilitated by China. I think the first yuan settled oil oil deals will will happen later this year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I just, their human rights abuses are so strong. I mean, it's like, uh, <laughs> neither of those countries care. Yeah. And I, I've, I go on these, it's one of the things like going on these central bank websites and seeing how they operate. Like they're so bad. Like it's so, <laughs> this is how you talk about CBDC. I mean, like they can't even, you know, bank of Iran, you can't even get on their website and it's all of them are just horrible, horrible, horrible websites. And it's just like, that is the backbone of their financial system. It's just this crappy website. And you don't have to go that far down the list to start to get like massive hiccups in the way that these central bank websites work. Like really it's like Bank of England, Swiss Bank, ECB, BOJ and the Fed are like the only decent working working websites. All the rest are just garbage. And that's how the currencies work as well, right? They're just garbage. So I, I don't know. It's going to be a public private partnership. Like I don't see the China. sum of, I don't see the sum of those parts being worth more than the whole. No, they're gonna have to tap. Helps. They're gonna have to tap in like they have in China, like WeChat, Alipay, here in the U.S. I'll tap Sam Altman on the shoulder, say, "Hey, that Worldcoin thing's pretty cool. We'd like to uh, acquire that and inject that into the Federal Reserve or Circle. <laughs> I think Circle's on the list too. Like, it seems like the Fed's paying more attention to stable coins." It seems like circles being cornered into the big systemically important banks and wouldn't it be hard to see them getting all their reserves in the systemically important banks. And then the fed saying, actually you're systemically important too. We're going to have to nationalize circle. Yeah. You're going to need to help us out. That's going to take away. I mean, that's going to bring in no nationalization is not a good thing, but so this is, these are constitutional crises level things. So that's where I think, these people don't care. They hate us, Matthew. Remember, they hate us. They do not care about the Constitution. You know what happened when uh, FDR nationalized gold? Do you know that there was a Supreme Court vote over it? I did not. And uh, the vote went like this. There were four judges that were for it. There were four that were against it. And one remained neutral. And they issued three opinions. One for it. One against it and one neutral from the chief justice. And then they just forgot about it. <laughs> That's what happened. That's what happened. They, and they didn't, they didn't know what to do. It would have been a constitutional crisis to take on Roosevelt the way that he wanted to do it. And, um, 
So they just let it happen. They just ignored it. Like they said, you know, they they put three votes, like, th- like three opinions, three opinions to the same thing. And there was no, no resolution. They just let it happen. They didn't, they didn't do anything. And so that would be the worst. That would be obviously the worst thing to happen. And it has happened. But again, I just don't see that happening with, uh, with Bitcoin. I think it's too, it's too resilient. It's too strong. Yeah. And anyway, if they if they really do try to make it illegal and not even one U.S. state will stand up for people's property rights, uh, it's still a good advertisement for Bitcoin because, you know, if you're in like sub-Saharan Africa, you're like, well, I guess it's something valuable. <laughs> I guess I should get it. Matt Odell's <laughs> not going to like this, but hey, anybody at the federal government out there, any of you states, I'm not going to stop running my node. You're not getting my keys. I'm holding my Bitcoin. There's nothing you can do about it. Come take it from my dead fucking cold hands. And even then you're not going to be able to get it. Dead fucking cold hands. <laughs> Better way to say it. Does Odell want a stealth run nose? Is that the thing? I don't know I what he wants. He just doesn't, he just doesn't way, like but... being openly confrontational with the government. Okay. Gotcha. Which gotcha. is what we should do as Americans. You're supposed to work for me. Absolutely. You don't tell me what to do. 100%, man. Seems like there are some representatives and senators and congressmen that still get that. So, Yeah, uh, it has been good to see. We've had Ted Cruz, I believe Massey, obviously a lot of the conservatives. And even, uh, I think, um, oh, what's his name from Oregon? I forget his name. There's a Democratic senator as well. That has stood up and say, "Hey, CBDCs are no go here." Um, presenting bills that would that would make it illegal for a CBDC, whether or not they get passed, is another question. But it does seem like some are paying attention. Yeah, I don't see uh, a new balance sheet posted yet. Tomorrow, I guess. I think it's day and Thursday. Usually, it gets out, so it's still morning your time. Yeah, it's eleven a.m. Central. It's like noon on the East Coast. Um, where's Bitcoin stand in the uh, number one man the pecking number order one. of well technically the pecking order of monetary base it was six or seven. Oh yeah uh, eight or nine can we go back to the tweet Logan do you have it handy just that summary page because I'm too it. lazy to pull it up myself boom so it's eight. Yeah. Now it's probably like no, six. Ten, no, ten. Yeah, ten at that time. So eight, eight, eight if you don't include gold and silver, ten if you do. Um, so this is right. as of January 1st, 2023. And obviously. No, price. it's it's uh, it's as of posting. So it's much, the, the Bitcoin price is much more. Uh, oh. Much higher. But the, the rest of the data is as of January, excuse me, December 31st. 2022. Okay. Regardless, I should pull it up just to uh, do this with you. Um, you can keep talking while I do this. I'll keep talking. I'm going to keep, keep laying the seeds of civil disobedience. Don't let them. Don't let them push you around anymore. They locked you down. Stuck swabs up your nose. They made you wear a mask. Forced they definitely, you to get 
get some vaccinations. Like they, they don't like you. They definitely don't know what they're doing. No. Bailing out the banks again. They lost control. And to think any of you out there who trust the government to right the ship, you're wrong. They're the people who created this problem. They're not going to solve the problem. You don't fix the system internally. Buckminster Fuller quote, to fix the system, you have to create a whole new system that's external to the one that's failing to actually fix things. That's what Bitcoin does. Jerome Powell, Joe Biden, Janet Yellen, they're not going to fix these things. There's no magical policy wand that they can, they can, what do you do with a wand? You don't swing it, you point it. There's no abracadabra, here's the perfect policy that's going to fix the problems. It's all fucked. It's doomed for failure. It's mathematically impossible for them to fix this system. This is why we Bitcoin. But you're optimistic, right? You're not just pissed. And then both. You got to be mad. Yeah. Agreed. But, you know, we got good families. Eat well, live well. You got to do true. that too. You, you got to laugh. We just got to laugh at these people. They're laughably <laughs> incompetent. No doubt right? about that. And they're all like 90 years old. Are we really yeah, going to let them know? Same thing. Are we really going to let the 90-year-olds dictate what happens to us? They're going to tell you what you can do with your computer and your phone. They're six um, inches away from the grave. <laughs> Don't let them wave. They wave one. That's what you do with you. They're going to try and wave a wand, and then they're going to die and leave you with the consequences of their decisions. Don't let that happen. That's the, that's the real truth, brother, is like what we're looking at now is, I mean, not only the consequences from 15 years ago, but from 50 years ago. I mean... Yeah, there's no natural reason that interest rates should have gone as high as they did in 1980 and be as low as they did in 2020. Literally a 40 year cycle. Uh, It's just unbelievably insane. The whole generation. Yep. That's what the central bank does. I mean, it goes, it Uh, all goes back to the Keynesian brain rot of debt is only money we all owe ourselves. Oh, it's so stupid. These people don't know anything. Uh, and Keynes, he admitted on his deathbed, he's like, I'm fucking dying. It's not my problem anymore. It's your problem. This is how these people think. The way the wand. Yeah, essentially at the end, he's like, it doesn't, like, yeah, that's like the fam- one of the famous Keynes quotes. Like, doesn't oh, you matter. mean in the, in the long run, we're all yeah, dead? Yeah, in the long run, we're all dead. Like, it doesn't matter. I didn't know he said that on his deathbed. I don't know if he said it on his deathbed. Maybe I made that up, but. Maybe, maybe he did. Maybe I'm going to die. Sounds about right from someone like him to say that at that point. Yeah, we're all going to die. Um, in the long run, we're all dead. But when I die, my children are still going to be around. My grandchildren, hopefully, are still going to be around. I can't leave yep. these problems for them. I can't wave the wand and say, hey, figure it out. See you. See you on the other side. It's not the way to run yes, a society. Sir. Yes, sir. Um, we're bigger than India. Again, again, just look at it in the year end. Bigger than uh, yeah, five hundred and ten billion, roughly. They are at uh, dollar equivalent. So Bitcoin right now at five hundred fifty-four billion would be bigger. So it would move up from ten to nine, including gold and silver. Eight to seven, not including gold and silver. And then uh, we passed silver at what, like a one point two trillion dollar market cap. Yeah, got to get back up to that level, which we, you know, 
those were fun days in 2021 where we were above silver. Uh, wild that we passed it. This also shows you the journalists don't know what the hell they're talking about. Like this, the first news article that Bitcoin passed silver, you know when that was? No. It was December what? of 2016. Yeah, because silver is what? You can search it right now. I've, I've linked it. I mean, there's news, like just memes go around, idiots like saying, oh yeah, Bitcoin's larger than silver. Like Bitcoin was, you know, 15 billion maybe market cap at that point, maybe. And, uh, you know, because obviously supply lower, the price was maybe 3,000 bucks. I don't remember what it was. This is 20, not the, not the boom, not December 2017. December 2016 was the first time this came out. And all that was was just morons like reading somewhere about the, not the silver supply, but the annual silver production, <laughs> the annual silver production, and then applying that to Bitcoin's market cap. It just shows you like, I mean, people aren't rigorous with this stuff and really understanding it. But yeah, that was the first time that Bitcoin was quoted to have passed silver when indeed the first time that it actually happened was maybe February or March, 2021. Yeah. This is why we, this is why we sit down with Matthew four times a year. It's because he's rigorous. Gets us the good data. Got to be rigorous. I'm not going to lie. I'm not as rigorous as you are. Uh, yeah, it must be noted. That's, I mean, the, uh, the attention to detail that goes into these quarterly monetary updates is uh, unmatched. There's nobody sleuthing shitty central bank websites like our, like our that's right. Matthew here. I go through the pain so you don't have to. <laughs> uh, how does this all play out? What happens if Pelagi's million dollar uh, prediction does come true? Then it's a 0.07% almost four sigma event. But are we number one if that happens? Which is incredible in itself. Oh, you mean, yeah, in the ranking? Um, well, do the math. What's, what's, uh, what is that? A tr a, yeah, that would be. Is it, 20, is it 21 trillion? I'll do that right. It'd be, four, it'd be a 40X from 500 billion. So yeah, 20 trillion. 20, 20 trillion, roughly. Yeah, roughly. So, of course, it'd be number one. Yeah. Gold is, uh, yeah, that's a good question, actually. It's a good way to look at it. Gold is, uh, Gold is 10 trillion, uh, available gold, available gold. Let me zoom in on this again. And, um, and, uh, yeah, but I mean, obviously, you know, no, no one currency is there yet, but again, we could be in some hyper inflationary scenario, which he is suggesting maybe if that does happen, but, um, yeah, not, no one currency is bigger than 6 trillion or so. And then gold itself being 10. Uh, obviously a 20 trillion Bitcoin would be the key, but that's another thing to think about, you know, the people that don't think there'll be any like fiduciary media. Again, I'm not, I don't mean to harp on this. I just mean to show you kind of how this stuff works. Like it's not, you can have a total closed loop Bitcoin system and you can still have fiduciary media, like start with the most laughable things and then go the other way. So like you can have, I mean, are you going to have carnival tickets? Are you going to have like, can I, you know, is there going to be any reason for those or is it all going to be on the Bitcoin blockchain? Like <laughs> that's fiduciary media. So that's the most laughable one. And then you ask like, are you going to have gift cards or is that all going to be on the Bitcoin blockchain? And then you would ask, you're going to have credit cards, debit cards. I imagine that there's still a role for that. Uh, I mean, even Rodolfo is talking about putting some stuff on cards. 
uh, of course, it's not doing like credit or debit, but like, you know, rolling out uh, ordinals. On yeah, SATS you, card. Got, you got good old ordinals as well. I don't know how you would define ordinals yet in economic parlance if they ever have a trading uh, a trading value. But it is true. It is true. I should say this: that lightning is very unique. Uh, it's a very unique sort of economic thing. Full reserved. Yeah, it's like fully reserved, locked Bitcoin. That's something else that's not exactly Bitcoin, but it is Bitcoin trades in a in a second layer. It's very interesting. So, of course, that's the that's the full reserve dream of the Bitcoiners that only the lightning will will work. I I just I kind of doubt that that would be the case. But again, I, I'm not. They should do it. It's great. Like enjoy lightning. But if you look at the lightning capacity right now, it's it's quite small compared to say you know the on-chain capacity obviously but um you, you can totally have fiduciary media in a you know closed loop bitcoin system where it's only bitcoin not even any other shit coins or anything you can totally have fiduciary media it's not a problem so that's that's another thing like don't 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 just hate on the all the banks just because they're morons and they're governed by a central bank like there is good good free banking precedent in the market uh in the past so it's Hal Finney's dream. Said in what? January or no, December of 2010. Yeah, I think that's, you know, the best uh, example of a leader in Bitcoin who was obviously like super smart, uh, who probably knew that this was, you know, possible scenario. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that it has to be like only, we're only using exchanges to make payments. Like, absolutely not. Because you do it all, you should have everything. It's like, you don't just go for spectrum. renewables. Yeah, like you don't just go for renewables. You do everything. You definitely drill and you do gas and you don't flare your gas. You mine Bitcoin with it. Like you do everything. It's not a it's not a problem. Yeah, and no, you can even see, I can see like fiduciary media popping up with impediments as well. Yeah, Fediment. Fediment's a good example. Yeah. E-cash tokens, are they fiduciary media? I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's basically, that's basically how you would describe fiduciary media. Basically, if, if it's, you know, it gets, it gets a little bit weird, obviously, in the digital world. It's always weird, right? When we're talking about the protocol and then UTXOs and what does that mean? Like, certainly people that are 90-year-old leaders in Congress don't understand that. But, um, you know, things are going to continue to be more and more creative and interesting, uh, Regardless of, regardless of, uh, you know, the penetration of Bitcoin throughout society, and I do think that we'll get there to where we're like a full Bitcoin standard. Uh, but anyway, it's not it's not even like an argument that's really worth having. We're we're all on the same side with everybody, but uh, I think that to the extent that like you want to show that you're a Bitcoiner that understands that like this stuff is for the people and it's going to be for everybody. Like that's just obvious that not everybody's going to be signing up for, you know, running uh lightning nodes, you know, within the next year, no matter how much biology says it, or maybe how much predictions are, are true. So it's gotta be baby steps. People got to go, like I said, earn, earn in Bitcoin. Uh, you can mine Bitcoin, uh, do any sort of different mining. Um, you can, earn Bitcoin, spend Bitcoin, do just like we said in the old days, you don't have to, to buy it. You don't have to trade your fiat shit coins even for it to acquire it. 
as we like to say here, create many SATS flows. This podcast is producing a SATS flow for us. We have our lightning address in the RSS feed. People will be spreading us SATS. I'm mining right now. Another SATS flow. Mm. What else? Noster. I don't know if you've looked into that. I've got my lightning yeah, address I gotta, there. I got to. Uh, I got to expand my presence there for sure. Got my. I got my BTC Pay server address on the old tweet thread. If anybody likes it, or if they want to infer more information or whatnot, feel free to contact me about it. Go support the work, freaks. One thing I did want to mention, since you mentioned gold, have you realized the uh, expansion of the gold supplies seems to be increasing? Like they're finding more gold. You're near out, isn't the? Uh, the I think it's of... about one, it's about one point eight percent still. Is I it? haven't noticed. Yeah, I mean, you might have noticed uh, a collapse in twenty twenty one, and then a reemergence in twenty twenty two. So a bigger year on year growth because the the base got yeah. cut at the knees. Okay, but um, I didn't see anything glaring uh, over the last. Uh, year just the reports that I looked at just just very basic basic but uh, uh, it's probably a little bit more uptake from from what happened po- immediately post COVID. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking just in uh, in overall terms because obviously 1.8 percent a year compounded means that there's significant. Yeah, it's a ton of gold. That's- that's the Fed's number right there. It's a doubling every 30 years, right? 1.8%. Yeah. That's that's another thing I'm trying to educate on my channel is like understanding the importance of compound growth. And 2% is not nothing. And that's what the gold supply increases uh, by doubles every 40 years. Silver actually doubles a little bit less, which the gold bugs hate. But silver, <laughs> silver does double less. It goes at 1.5% compounded because uh, it's just the bigger base of silver. And it's just how it works. It's... Uh, Stock to flow of silver is actually better than the stock to flow of gold. Um, Sorry, gold bugs. Stock to flow to Bitcoin's uniquely superior. It is uniquely superior. And and they also say, oops, did I just lose you? Sorry, my computer just locked. No, you're still here. I can still see you. You got me. So you see your face and hear your voice. Good. No, but it's, uh, what, what do they say now that we're on the topic? The gold bugs, they hate silver so much. Oh, because uh, like it is true. Like if you talk about industrial gold, uh, there's maybe only 10, 10 to 15% of the total stack of all the 6.4 billion ounces that have been mined throughout humanity total of gold, only about 10 to 15% is industrial. Okay. And that's like constant churn, right? Some that's like recycled, some that goes back into industry, conductors, all the rest. Silver is much more. It's like 50, it's 50%. So what the gold bugs like to do is they like to uh, they like to deflate the stock to flow ratio of silver by taking out the fifty percent of the uh, of the stock and keeping the full flow. But you can't do that. It's either take out half the flow or take out half the stock because that's what it is. It's still half the flow. It's coming in half the stock or if you want to do that way, I would grant it to you. You can do that. And that would take the, that destroys the silver stock to flow. I can't remember in the percentage terms, but in stock to flow, like you go from being whatever it is better than gold to being maybe like four, four or five, hmm. where gold would be like 60. Um, but they don't do the same process 
for silver. And by the way, when I do that, I, I'm taking out not just uh, when I did that stock to flow of four or five for silver, you're taking out industrial and jewelry and silverware, which is like a massive part of the silver market too. So you're taking, you're only leaving gold bullion, which is a very, very small fraction of silver. And then they take the full mining production per year to get this insane. That's what they do. That's what they do. That's why they hate silver. So, so they'll give silver like a stock to flow of like four. But that's so unfair based on if you did the exact same thing to gold, it would still be better at this point, but it's much lower. It, got, it takes the stock to flow down to like maybe 20. You take this 20. out. Yeah, take out jewelry, take out industry, uh, only leave bullion in gold. It's true that gold bullion is a much bigger slice of the pie, but it's still, you know, just be consistent, folks. Yeah. Be consistent with this stuff. No, and it's funny uh, as many countries are beginning to posture like they're going to go back to a gold mm -hmm. reserve or a quasi gold reserve system. You know, stuff like the, uh, the West Australian mint <laughs> sending Shanghai bunk gold or very minutely diluted gold. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of instances of tungsten popping up. Yeah. Gold. I think tungsten is more prevalent than people probably think. And, um, We've talked about this before. I mean, you see all the trouble that like gold money had to go to to really make sure their customers were feeling good and secure. You know, they would have like dedicated vaults inside of vaults, like separate cages, separate areas, and you know, doubly audited twice a quarter, whatever. You know, the big doors, all that. Like, it's fine, it's good, go for it, but you got to pay for that stuff. Yeah, Bitcoin is so much more efficient. That's funny. I've developed a good relationship with Roy. From gold money. I mean, this is oh, yeah? his other company, Mene. That's where I got this ring. Nice. He uh, seems like a good guy, but he's not a fan of Bitcoin, right? Or is he? He's, he gets he, it. He's yeah. coming around to it? Yeah, he gets it. I mean, he's more partial to, toward gold. We have conversations about it, but um, he gets it. Do, do you talk with him about Peter Schiff? Uh, not particularly. Schiff is an investor in gold money, yeah. I believe. Uh, Turk founded it, right? And Schiff, I think, is an investor. Yeah. Um, you should you should talk to him and report back. I will. I'd like to hear. Roy's a, one of the most, most interesting men I've ever had the the pleasure of meeting. Very very uh, intellectually stimulating conversations yeah. whenever yeah. we uh, hop on a call. Very smart dude. Yeah. Indeed. That, that's good to hear that he's grok's bitcoin though i wasn't sure if he fully i'd never heard him like fully go off on it i i, I uh i feel like he's he's always going to revert to gold being superior and 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 just not really yeah he really likes gold's connection to the physical world um i think yeah. trying to get him over the hump that there is a connection to the physical world with bitcoin that's, via energy but uh, that's why just, we have bitcoin mining yeah 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 um. All right, are we gonna win? Let's We're gonna win, dude. I'm more confident than ever, and I'm I'm happy. I am happy that Balaji is making these bets and taking these stances, even though it's very very rare. And like you said, that's gonna be that's a good question you asked. It's gonna be twenty trillion dollar market cap, <laughs> which I mean that that is hyper Bitcoinization if it happens. So uh, let's see. But yeah, I think we I think we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. All right. Let's go forth. Let's keep winning. It's March 22nd, 23rd. So you'll 23rd. start, you'll start, uh, gathering the data 
in Q1 2023. I'm very interested. I'm very excited for for next month's or and, next end of April, start there. of May. I will I will be gathering, but hopefully, yeah, we can talk before uh, before it gets too close to like end of June next time. It should be a little bit quicker this time. Yeah, but we've been in a bit of a lull, or not, I want to say a lull, but there's been a trend for the monetary updates for a year and a half. And it seems like that trend is about to reverse with everything going on. Um, it seems, although even though he hiked, we'll see. Uh, they're still also expanding the balance sheet. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens this week. I'll do a show on it actually tomorrow when I get the uh, when I get yeah, it's, updated. It's uh, not like exactly double speak, but it's like double speak where it's like, oh, we're still raising rates, which makes people yeah. think quantitative tightening is still happening. But you open up this facility and you're raising rates and still lending out new dollars. Yeah, they reversed their QT by 50% last week. So that's what people should remember. Yeah. All right. Always a pleasure, sir. Likewise, brother. Logan, Son- thanks, man. Logan, you got anything to say? Good episode. Thanks. It was all Matthew. Thank you. All right. That's all we got today, you, freaks. We'll be back in May, probably. Looking Actually, forward to it. Probably middle of June now, if we're... I think I think we'll be I think it'll be in May, mid May. All right, I'll hold myself to that. All right. Hopefully, the uh, maybe Bitcoin will be at a million dollars by then. That would be pretty. Yeah. Cool. Or we could wait till mid June actually, because that's the that's the uh, expiry date. But now that I think of it, <laughs> what, if the next, what if the we'll next time close. we sit down here, it's at a million dollars? That would be insane. I'm glad we're talking <laughs> about it right now. That would be insane. Uh, I'll have a top hat on and a monocle. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be calling you from Dubai and from the Baltics. Yeah, I have a, a top hat, a monocle, and an AK just in case uh, somebody's coming in trying to steal, <laughs> steal shit because everything's gone crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's All see. Right. Never, never a dull moment, my friend. No. Peace and love, freaks. Dickie!